0: Merry Christmas. We're talking about hope today. And uh, I'm placing my hope in Amazon Prime. I still have one package for it to come tomorrow. You know, I, 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 but I, I feel confidently. Uh, yeah, that's what the Hebrew says for me to be. I guess that's in Jesus, not in Amazon. But um, do you have hope? So that's. I just want to start out with this. Do you have hope? Um, because I want to talk about um, how hope and fear interact. Because I think a lot of us, um, can be very hopeful, and, um, and and we go through life, and we, we're living at a certain clip. But then when fears start coming in, that dramatically affects our hope um, and the way in which we live. Um, when you lose it and fear wins out, um, it's, not a, it's not a great place to be in. I remember being in the seventh grade and my buddy Brian got up to bat, and it was the fastest pitcher in the league, and his name was Scott Kalinske, and he threw gas. And uh, Brian was up there, and he was kind of uh, taller and thin, and Brian got hit in the ribs by this guy pitching, right? It, um, it broke his rib, and then it punctured his lung, right? And he started spitting up blood, they had to bring the ambulance out, right? Uh, he turned out to be fine, um, but... Uh, the next game, I was going to face Scott Klinsky, right? The next game, I was going to have to get up there and, uh, and face him. And I didn't have a whole lot of hope, I'll be honest with you. Um, in fact, I remember being up to, uh, to bat, and my knees, I couldn't get them to stop shaking. Um, and I just kind of took my three whiffs and went back, uh, went back to the dugout. Didn't have a whole lot of hope. <laughs> um, coach wasn't too happy with me. Hope matters when, you're, uh, when you are fearful. Um, and so... Um, What is your biggest fear? If you had to name one thing, if you had to write it down on a three-by-five card, what would it be? Um, Thing that you think about um, the most uh, that uh, causes anxiety uh, in you. Um, Russell Brand, he is a comedian. Um, He was looking for hope, and he wrote this about his fear. My fear of atheism is... That if there is nothing else, if this is all there is, the material, the mechanical, then why not individualism? Then why not materialism? Then why not humanitarianism? It feels good because it's nice to be nice to people. But for me, without some sense of a deeper truth, for me, there's only hedonism. There's only indulgence, right? This is a man of the culture, a, um, a well-known comedian uh, that people want to see. And he's looking at the world, and he begins to become fearful. Like, what is it? If you don't have, I mean, everything, I live a life of hedonism, but you go there, and what's the foundation of that? Where is my hope? That's what he's asking. So, where, where is yours, um, What does it mean to deal with your fears? Because I think some of you come in, and I know you're nervous about your marriage. You feel like it's on the rocks. Um, I don't have a whole lot of hope, Frank. Uh, What is this Christmas story? You know, we talk about the thrill of hope. I don't know. Fear wins, right? Um, Maybe you um, have a, uh, a, maybe you're a, student and you got a parent and you're thinking to yourself, I don't think I'm ever going to live up to a certain expectation. Or maybe you're a parent and you're wondering what's going on with your child or what's going on with a certain friendship. Um, maybe you're here today and you're single and you're thinking, um, you know, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to get married. Where is my hope? What, what am I supposed to do with this? And so we come to the Christmas story and, and you realize this. Christ came in the middle of a bunch of fear. The Christmas story happens in the midst of a bunch of fear. And I feel like there's a lot of fear in this room as we, as we think about the, the different areas of our lives that we're nervous about. And God came in the middle of it. There's a Roman Empire, and a lot of God's people were nervous. They did not feel hopeful. And so um, we look to... Uh, Matthew chapter 2, because the life that he wants for you and he wants for me is this, is freedom, right? Galatians 5 says this, it is for freedom that Christ has come. I want you to live life and live it abundantly, to live it fully. So are you living that? And as we look at the Christmas story, we've looked at Elizabeth, right? We've looked at Mary last week. We looked at what it takes to create hope. And this, uh, this morning, I want us to look at the uh, three wise men. And um, I want you to look at the story of the three wise men uh, as a, um, a hopeful, hopefully vision for you of what is offered to you. Because remember, these guys came from the east. And um, there was something that happened inside of them. Because let me tell you, they should not have been as hopeful as we are going to read there is something that happened inside of them and we know that they came from the east and so I'm wondering maybe back in the Old Testament times when uh, the Israelites were taken out of Israel and exiled to Babylon, uh, maybe an Israelite or a prophet there began to talk about a hope that there would be a virgin and, and um, ultimately the government would be upon his shoulders because when we enter into this story, the, the wise men kind of happen out of nowhere. But I think they're a template. Um, they are a, a hopeful vision for what you can experience uh, this Christmas uh, as we uh, deal with our fears and deal with hope. So here it is. This is Matthew chapter 2, um, verses 1. We're going to go through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, So this is a crazy time. You you remember, Herod is a myopic tyrant. And he wants to build big fortresses and he wants to uh, kill as many people. I mean, this guy killed three of his own sons, right? This is a crazy man. And he was trying to build his own kingdom and he was fearful of everyone. And so he oppressed as many people as he could who he thought uh, might be threats. So during this time, Magi... Um, magi basically means a scholar, a kingly scholar. So these are very learned men. They come from the east, from the Orient. You know, we, we three kings of Orient are. Um, they came from the east. Uh, they, they came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So this story is telling you and telling me. Here are three learned men. They probably had some means. And they heard about a prophecy. And they were, you know, hundreds of miles away. And this star, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. What do you place your hope in? Because what you place your hope in determines what you're going to hope for. And if you are um, without hope, what what did we say two weeks ago? Your life probably is unbearable. Because if you don't have hope, uh, life, I mean, what do you you hang on to? But here we have these men. They hear about a prophecy. Learned of means men. We see a star. It rises up. And you know what? We're going to come and worship him. We're going to leave where we're from. And we're going to go and worship the king. If you have a lot of hope, if you have hope in Christ, here are men that are free. And when you have that, you know when when God shows you his presence, you know what you can do if you're in him? If your hope is in him, you can follow him freely. When you are in um, your workspace and you hear the voice of God, and your hope is in Him, you know what you can do? You can respond. When God tells you, please uh, talk to this person who no one ever talks to, please do that. Place your hope in me, trust me, follow me. We can freely do that. We're not as concerned with self. See, this is a other-centered hope. And when we begin to live this way, what happens? Uh, people, um, They change. But the problem is, Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So here's what happens, is that God's glory and man are separated in the garden. And there's this massive distance now. After Genesis 3, there's this distance between God and man. And you were never designed for that, and I was never designed for that. We, um, we realized that God's perfect design was for us to walk with Him and to be together together. Um, As it's kind of the vertical is perfect and the horizontal is perfect, but there is this distance. And so why might you fear uh, losing your job? I mean, hey, we don't know what the stock market's gonna do, right? It was it was crazy high, and then it's been crazy volatile, and some of you are in corporations and you don't know if people are gonna buy what you're selling or if they want to sign on with you as a project manager, and we fear losing our job, but fundamentally, why would you fear? Losing your job. Why would you do that? Well, here's what the scripture says. Uh, the reason that you uh, would fear it is because your design is this it's for security, it's for productivity, and it's for justice and for purpose. Um, you were not designed for uh, injustice, you were not designed for uh, unfairness or loss or failure. And so your fear is based in what? This distance. Uh, You were not designed, and that's what uh, the sin of man has done. There's this gap. So why do you fear losing your job? Because you weren't designed for it. Why uh, would you be fearful of going into surgery? I mean, why? If If you've ever had a procedure done to you, why would that make you nervous inside? Well, the scriptures say that you were not made for surgery. Your body was made to reflect life and health and peace and vitality, but what has sin done? Uh, what, did, what did sin do? Well, you experience sickness and pain and even death, but that's not you. what you were created for. Why does a Christian in a church setting get nervous about um, having to talk to somebody that they've offended? Why are you nervous in a Christian church about someone coming to you and asking for forgiveness when they've offended you. Why, why do we um, anticipate a very awkward, tense-filled conversation when that happens? Because you were not made for that. You were not designed for that. You, what you were designed for is perfect community, perfect connection, perfect intimacy, a perfect relationship. But we don't experience those things. And we experience fear around relationships, around our health, around our vocation. And here's what Christ says. Look, I have come to relieve this. I have come to restore this. You could think about it this way. That the reason all of the prophecies and all the promises of the Old Testament were written about Christ were to reveal his what? His sovereignty. right? Timeless sovereignty. He's over all time. The reason Christ came through a virgin... Why would he do that? Well, he wants to reveal his power. So not just his sovereignty, but his power over um, the, the natural process. The reason Christ came to earth as a man was to reveal what to you and to me? His presence, right? He wants to reveal his, his presence, his glorious, the glorious presence of God. And finally, the reason why Christ went to the cross was to reveal what? His grace, That's that's what he did for you. And so as we understand that, your hope is supposed to be placed in the work of Christ. If we do that, um, then here's here's what we're offered. We're offered uh, hope. We're offered peace. We're offered uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those things come out of you, the fruits of the Spirit. But fear gets in the way. Verse 3, it says this. When King Herod heard, heard this, heard about these wise men, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So they're just interacting with Herod. They make you know they, they go on their way, they're following the star. It stops right over Bethlehem. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. These are learned men, kingly men, scholarly men, and they're seeing a star, right? They're, they're seeing a star come over this podunk. You know, it's, Bethlehem's about six miles outside of Jerusalem. This podunk town, um, not of, of any real significance. And here are these wise men, and they're, over, and they're overjoyed with this star. And on coming to the house, what do they do? They saw the child with his teenage mother, Mary. Some. You know, young teenage girl who who has this baby. These are adult men with all kinds of degrees and dignity. And what do they do? They bowed down and worshipped him. See, when you have hope, your own personal dignity doesn't matter. What matters is you understand what you were made for. And in this moment, the fear... and and, and whatever chaos was going on inside didn't matter they were in the presence of their king and they believed in this baby you know and and so if their hope was completely in christ what do we see here their life wasn't not about themselves it wasn't about hey this is the story of my family this is the story of how much money I make. This, is the, this, this isn't the story of how your kids do or how, what your grandfather did or, or what your great-grandfather did or what your grandkids will do. It's not that. It's, it's the greatest story ever, ever told. And these wise men have given themselves to this story. And so here are dignified men bowing down before a baby. I mean, imagine it. Let's go to the preschool right now, right? Let's, let's walk over there together. And let's just bow down before a baby. Let's just, you know, all all get there as adults, as learned adults. We're going to go and and what is in this? It's humility. Um, What's the thing that drives you the most? What's the thing you're most afraid of losing? When your hope is in Jesus, it's in this baby king. You know what? You can be a king and bow down. Why? because you have what? You have humility. And what's that? It's not thinking about yourself. It's thinking about, uh, you know, the mission that you were made for. And so when fear gets into your world, what are you thinking about? I'm thinking about me. I'm not thinking about God when I get fearful at all. I'm thinking about, okay, what I need or what I'm not getting and what I need to control. And I get fearful and I get desperate and that starts bleeding out in my relationships. And people, um, you know, they sense, hey, Frank, what are you trying to do? Um, I remember feeling a uh, deeply anxious moment when we first started the church. We were over at the YMCA. It was one of the first uh, meetings. And I had a, a coach. His name was Steve Ogney, and he was coming in for um, this one particular Sunday night. He flew all the way from California. And this was the first time he was going to see uh, see me teach or preach, and um, I I was really nervous, right? <laughs> I mean, like really nervous. And the way, uh, at least the, the way they used to have it over there in Waters, uh, the why there was a room, and then there was like this little hallway area with this tiny little bathroom, right? And then you kind of walked out, and then there was the room that we met in. And um, so it was about five minutes before, and I was getting nervous. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to walk into the bathroom. i got to give myself a little pep talk, right? I'm going to feel real good about this. And I kind of looked at, uh, I looked at myself in the mirror, and I was, I was, you know, I could just feel my heart beating. I'm like, all right. I was like, all right, are we going to do this? Are we going to do this? <laughs> feeling, feeling nervous, and all of a sudden, I just see this stall door open. It's Steve. And he's like, yep, we are going to do this. (laughs) And uh, he was like all all this fear, and he he saw me in this terribly vulnerable moment. Uh, He was very encouraging. Um, But the question in that moment for me was, okay, um, are you going to let fear, are you going to let your fear, Frank, drive you to what? To Christ. Are you going to let fear drive you into hope, or are you going to take control of it? Are you going to take control of him and say, no, this is what I want? So there's King Saul in the Bible, and he was this 6'4 stud, and he was the first king of Israel. And all of a sudden, David comes along, and he kills Goliath. And he started singing this song, right? They started singing this song that said, Saul kills thousands. You know, I don't know how it went. <laughs> um, but David, he kills 10,000. He kills 10,000 guys, and Saul kills 1,000. And it drove him mad. Saul literally uh, uh, was driven mad. I mean, he lost his mind because his fear of losing out um, to David won over the hope that he had in God uh, sustaining Israel. I feel like that happens all the time in our church. You have an opportunity to allow hope, to overwhelm fear, but... We so want control. You so want uh, security that, hey, we grab it away and say, no, no, this is my life. During the recession in 2008, 9, and 10, um, there was a few families that lost their jobs, right? I remember this one family, um, they lost their job and they completely pulled away from the church. They were involved, but they completely pulled away. And and the more, you know, I, I was able to talk to them a little bit, They basically said, look, we don't want anybody um, in our community, our church community, to know uh, how much in need we are. I do not, hey, I do not want to show people that we are in need, and many of us struggle with that. Um, They pulled away because their hope was in uh, the way in which they were being perceived. Another family lost their job. You know what they did? They wanted control. They didn't isolate themselves, but they went after one another. And blamed one another and they tried to get control and say, it's your fault, or it's your fault. And you know what happened? That, that family fell apart, they got divorced. Um, because, hey, we needed to somebody to point a finger at. We actually had another family where they just didn't even want to deal with it and they started buying even more things to kind of you know, live in this fantasy world. How do you deal with fear? How do I deal with fear? When we look at the wise men, when we look at what happens... Um, we realize that Christ answers every single fear that we have. Because some of you might be asking yourself, you know what, I don't know if I have what it takes. I feel inadequate. I walk into a classroom, I feel, I feel less than. I walk into this room, I don't have what other people have. I, I am less than. And what Second Peter says is... Um, God says to you, you have been given everything for life and godliness according to the true knowledge of me who called you by my own purpose and glory. He's saying, I've given you everything. You fear being inadequate, but you don't realize what you've been given. Others of you say, you know what? I have a past, Frank. You know what I have done? You know, I, I don't ever want my kids to find out what I've done. And I live in this insecurity because I have failed. And you think, you know what, I've really messed up and I'm no longer useful to God, but he says in 1 John 1, 9 to you, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to, to, to um, allow your fears, to, to, to restore yourself back to Christ. Some of you are nervous about not having an identity. You're not sure who you are, and what 2 Corinthians five seventeen says: If anyone is in Christ, the new has come, and the old, uh, or the new, the new has come, and the old has left. That's who you are. You are in Christ. You have an identity. Others of you think, you know what? Um, I think I'm just insignificant. People don't really care about me. Uh, they don't care for me, or really even care about me. And here's what Jesus says to you: He says, "Come to me." Everyone in this room who is weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Come. Um, You need to take my yoke upon you because my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Come and come into a relationship with me. Some of you need to hear that. You fear insignificance and he's saying, let me give you this hope. Do you need to feel the thrill of hope? Take that. Take that truth and live in it. Because hope um, will... Understanding hope will change your life. Last verse I'm gonna give you, and that's from 1 Peter 5, 7. If you're feeling anxious this morning, here's what he says to you. Don't let your fears drive you to craziness. Cast all your anxiety on me because why? Because I care for you. You fear, and he says, bring it to me. Don't live in that. You, You settle for less. So rather than letting fear be the force behind your lives, what we are called to have hope, drive it. So here are these men, and they've dropped down, and they bowed down before this baby king. They follow the star. They are humble enough to worship him. And then what do they do? Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They lived as if they had nothing and God had everything. They said, whatever it is, um, whatever is mine is yours. I'm giving my life back to you. And some of you um, don't realize, but your talent and your treasure and your time, um, God gave to you for himself. He gave you uh, your time and your talent to give back to him. And when your hope is in him, you know what? You can just hand it all back. Um, You don't have to hang on to it. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, hey, are we a generous church? Because if we find our hope in him, you know what we should be? We should be a hilarious or a cheerful giver. It should should feel like so much joy to give your stuff away. In fact, in, in, in the beginning of the church, in Acts 2 and Acts 4, you know what? It was as if everybody just shared everything, right? I mean, so my truck's out there. You know, I should give you the keys. You just take them and go. I mean, that's the way they lived. It was so open-handed. Hope, when you live in that, um, you just give things away. And I ask, you know, I ask myself all the time, is this a generous church? Are we a church that likes to give our time away to the Lord? Are we a church that likes to, to, to give our talents away for Him? To give our money away to Him? Um, you know that the average uh, giving in the United States of America, in churches, um, the average family gives 1.7% of their income away. Christian families, 1.7% of their income away. But when we live in hope, hey, hope is open-handed. One of my, one of my um, heroes, Frank Barker, he started uh, Briarwood Church in Birmingham, Alabama. And he started at 50% <laughs> of his income. And that's kind of where he started. And he started giving 1% more away each year. So I think, he's, I think he gives away 75% of what he makes. When you, when you realize, because it's not his. Hope is open-handed. These are free men. These wise men are free and they live in hope and they're following and they're humble and they're not dignified. Their personal property, their personal dignity, all of it's gone. It's all in the Lord. Lastly, they opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and my last verse is this. And having been warned, warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So when God tells you something, when God gives you a dream, let's say, or God gives you a Holy Spirit nudge and says, hey, hope in me. I know you have you have um, influence with Herod. You had a really good interaction. In fact, Herod's the most powerful uh, man in the land, and he wants to talk to you. You could probably uh, use this and leverage this for your own good in some way. And God's saying, no, no, no. You saw the king. Your hope is from me. Uh, we want you to leave. We want you to uh, you know, get out of there and don't let anybody know where Jesus is. What, do, what happens right after this? What do we know? Um, Mary and Joseph, they flee to Egypt because Herod gets nutty and Herod says, I'm gonna kill all the boys two and under and so they flee to Egypt. Why was that important? God's whole plan because it fulfilled the prophecy that out of Egypt, a savior would come, right? Out of Egypt, right? A savior would, would come all throughout the Old Testament. What do we know about hope? Who has God asked you to share your faith with? How much time has God asked you to spend with him? How much of your uh, emotional energy does he want? He wants it all. I mean, when's the last time that you knew God was saying, you know what, okay, I just want you to spend a half an hour praying to me, talking to me. You know you need to go take your wife out on a date night. You know you need uh, to call your best buddy. You know you need to reconcile that relationship. And God is telling you that. When you listen to him, and and that is your compass, right? That is your true north. You know what? You become very, very responsive. But you know what? You are free because you're living as you were designed. And that is to do the will of God. And so what did Paul do? Paul, I mean, that still struck me being out on the Mediterranean Sea. Paul just listened to the Lord and he just went. There's nothing in his way. He just listened to the Lord. And that's why I think he experienced so much more blessing. This is not a, I'm not trying to preach a um, health and wealth gospel. But when you become responsive to what God is trying to tell you to do, there's how many reasons could, could there have been for the wise men not to do any of this stuff? You have plenty of reasons, built-in excuses that you already give God. But if you're responsive to him, if you listen to him, and he's saying, you know what, you need to break up with that girl, and you think I'm just going to hurt you, but you know what, I'm saving you. I'm saving that intimacy that you are about ready to have with that girl for your wife so that when you sleep with her for the next 50 years, there's nothing in the way. I I want you to be responsive to the will of God because, hey, God has a design for you that he has these plans to prosper you. And I think they're coming out of the Orient. And I think they're living the freest, wildest, probably experiencing pain. But when you know you are being used for the Lord, who cares? Who cares what house you live in? Who cares... um, the way you're being perceived, because you're, when you're in the middle of God's will, you know what you're experiencing at that moment? Eternal life. Not one day after you die. You get to experience eternal life right now. And when we live in hope and it overwhelms our fear, that's what's offered to you. And I think, staring at these wise men this week, looking at this, man, do I follow? Can I give away? Is God asking me to give away more? More money? Our budget's going to look less? Wait, I've got kids beginning to go into college. What, 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 what is he asking me to do? How responsive, how mission-minded should I be in the community? Am I being responsive to him? Or because we got a church started, I really don't have to share as much because people kind of come here now. I mean, these are the kind of questions I'm asking. Like, you know, am I still this soft and pliable? Or have my fears of inadequacy, my past failures, my fear of insignificance, are they in the way and so loud that I'm trying to hang on? Where are you? What would it mean for you to live in hope? Because these men are free, and that's what's offered to you. To give your life completely over. I don't know what they do. Um, I don't know what they do after the fact. But I know for men to leave their country, and travel, probably on camels, uh, to go find a baby king. This sounds like lunacy. This just this just sounds bananas. And they are free. Something happened in these guys. They had hope. And their hope, um, it, it, it pushed through every fear they had. So does your fear drive you to Christ? That's what I want to ask you. Whatever fear it is, because we all have fears. I know everybody has at least one fear. Does it drive you to Christ or does it drive you to control or depression? Because when we allow our fears to drive us to Christ and we find our hope in him, you know what he will do? He will drive you through your fear. Amen? But we have to take the step of faith to do that. And we might look like idiots bowing before a baby king. But when we're in the smack middle of God's will, there is no better place of blessing, of peace, of joy, of hope. And that is what I think he wants for you. You want a gift for Christmas? You want the thrill of hope? Stare at these guys. Read this with your family after after church today. And walk through these four points. Is our family responsive to God? Are we open-handed? Are we following him? And are we humble enough to, to give our time, our treasures, and our talents to Him? It's, it's the blessed life, if you will, right? It's, it's the, it's the uh, I've come that you might have life and might have it abundantly. Eternal life now. It's for us. It's why He came. To, to make the crooked straight. To make the rough places plain. That's what He wants. And He gives us this story as a gift. He's given us Mary and Elizabeth and now the three wise men, as we think, okay, what does it mean for Westtown to, to receive a thrill of hope? Because when we do that, I tell you what, we push the ball forward. We, we, we continue to have these wins. And over time, I tell you what, churches then have significance because families stay together and other families come to know Christ. So where are you? Please do not make this some lecture, some just data dump. Why were you here? Why are you here? And you got two days to Christmas, Right? How could you apply this? How could you apply this over the next two days? Students, how could you apply that with your friends, with your studies, with your morality, with your ethics? God is saying, follow my word, right? It's it's the righteous path. And see if you don't experience the peace that Paul says transcends even understanding. Let's pray and ask that he would move in us. God, we thank you for hope. Um, God, you know, I, I wanna rely on um, some type of natural ability or, but it's, it's this life of faith that we place our hope in you because I know without hope in you my life becomes unbearable and I can't wait and I become a different person that you can't stand so kill that God in me that impatient, depressed, hopeless jerk Destroy that man inside of me. Do the same, God, in all of us. That fight that we know your word says goes on. You want to kill the man or the woman of flesh inside of us. And you, you want to bring out the man or the woman of spirit that has hope, that is free and confident and soft like these men, like these wise men. Thank you. They all point us to Jesus and what he was the freest man ever to live without sin. Thank you for sending him as a baby and then to die for us, God. We love you and we need you in your name, amen.